Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where you find the home team once more, having done all the hard work of poring over the latest news in the hotel investment space. So you don't have to. Uh, we have Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, and me, Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst. And we've picked three items we think will be of interest to you. And the first thing we've been doing this week is taking a look at the various predictions of uh, quite how uh, international travel is likely to return to our skies and more importantly to our hotels around the world. The predictions vary from those who are quite pessimistic and think it's perhaps going to be four or five years till things are back to normal uh, whereas others are a bit more optimistic and think perhaps towards the end of this year things will start picking up nicely again and of course then there is the other spanner to throw in the works which is the prediction by a few that business travel is never coming back like it used to though of course you may have heard us here speak on this podcast before about our feelings on that one Whew, um yeah so it's not a pretty picture historically um in in terms of the very recent uh, <laughs> and ongoing <laughs> issues we have uh so, so yeah it, it's almost we all know just how bad it's been and it's it's never been as bad as this so I mean, we've had you know we've had declines in in global travel before sort of um after the 2008 crash 2009 showed a um, um uh, was sort of stood still but we've never had the total collapse that we've had um in 2020 now you know it, it is entirely well not pretty much entirely down to a uh, supply issue and having the the airlines and all the means of travel actually shut down by government so it, it, it's you know it, it's not really that surprising and really I, I think most of the numbers which are out there are fairly meaningless in that context what does matter is the nature and shape of the recovery coming out of that um and I think there's two parts to that. One is the um, overall position regarding travel and how that's going to be released. Mm. Um, the, the second piece is the underlying economic picture, because we know broadly that uh, the, the, the trajectory of tr uh, travel is correlated very closely to the trajectory of the economy. And if we have a strong economy, we had, tend to have a strong um, travel picture I mean the good news for our sector is that actually travel outgrows the pace of the economy net net and has been consistently in terms of global travel growth has been faster than the rate of global economic growth as people get richer they allocate a bigger and bigger proportion of their spending on travel that that's why we get to this this point and there are no signs of that altering and there's nothing that the virus has done that has altered that pattern fundamentally so um i think as we look ahead um i'm quite bullish on the outlook for the overall economy um i think most of the forecasters now are also pretty bullish most are in the in in the high high-ish teens or in terms of gdp growth so you know the more bullish are in the high teens the less bullish are sort of in the four or five percent kind of zone for um, economic growth say the IMF which has been fairly restrained is, is in that kind of area um, but that's still a fantastic pace of growth relative to what we've had over the last decade or so so it's going to seem like a boom um, 
and I think it's going to be, uh, a, you know, a very interesting period we've got ahead of us. Um, in the piece I write um, for this week's perspective, I go into the sort of monetary policy response, which was largely what we had post the GFC and this is now a fiscal response and in terms of numbers though the governments generally certainly in in most high income countries have spent sort of 10 times what they spent after the GFC after Covid so we, we've got this huge fiscal boost we've got an ongoing monetary stimulus so all of this points in the direction of we ought to be getting some decent growth now and most people are the expectation is that we're going to see that we've also seen weirdly for recessions a big savings glut um, so people have a whole bunch of money they want to spend and crucially for our sector i think a lot of that wealth is held by the richer people in society and they're the ones who have the higher propensity to spend um, on travel and uh, just as a data point for that the center for economics and business research uh, the uk think tank reckons that uh, households have about seven thousand pounds just over seven thousand pounds extra uh, now than they had before the start of this pandemic um, in the uk this is um so th that seven grand is going to get deployed somewhere and most likely it's going to be in the things that have been missing which is travel tourism and hospitality so that that's all great news for the sector i think and and that's going to really i think going to start unlocking as as the governments take away restrictions which for the uk i think it's not unrealistic to expect that spend to begin sort of mayish time mm. um i mean we heard today that the schools in scotland are going to be opened on the 22nd um i think it's we're going to see all the schools opened across the uk by the by the 8th of march so uh, and and there you know but on the 22nd we will have from the uk prime minister a roadmap he's promising us that in terms of how he's going to be doing the unlocking and i expect that to be um pretty rapid um across rest of europe i think it's a more mixed picture and we've had the um uh, so vaccine gate i'm surprised <laughs> nobody's calling it that but uh, um yet but um we've had we've had the, the mess there and it does seem that there are perhaps three months behind in terms of when the rest of uh europe is going to get vaccinated and come out but it, it's going to come out mm, yeah um but i suppose the, the, the big the, there's a the big thing about getting on planes and and traveling from continent to continent that's absolutely yeah. so i think there's yeah two, two bits of that you, yeah. you've got the you've got the intra regional travel and then you've got the intercontinental travel and one would expect intra regional to come back first mm. but in in europe probably that won't include the uk sadly not for a bit anyway because certainly within the schengen area they're saying look you know we will we'll carry on traveling within the schengen area but we're not letting anybody else in so we're currently in the uk outside we've always been outside that there's nothing mm -hmm. directly to do with brexit but um we've always been outside the schengen area so we'd have likely been excluded anyway whether we're inside or outside the eu um and th that means you know it's, who knows when we're going to be allowed to go into the schengen area um that could be a while um and that is going to impact i suspect uh you know the the tourism over the summer period 
you know, will it? I, I don't know. So we had, um, I listened in on Ryanair's results call mm. and um, Michael O'Leary, the CEO, was his usual <laughs> ebullient self, um, <laughs> predicting we're all going to get back flying immediately. The government set us free and vaccinations are the way forward. I think it's going to be trickier than that because of the rate at which we're vaccinating. And I think he, you know, he, he's projecting he's going to be somewhere between... 80 to 120 million passengers uh this year again i mean last in 2019 he was 150 million um, i think i think he's going to be at the low end and probably below that 80 million for this year because i think it's just going to take that long for for air travel to to to, be, to open up who knows it, it's a very tricky one that but i certainly think he's projecting that 2022 it's all guns blazing um um and, and the jets are roaring um and off they go um and you know that 150 million is, is straight back on the on, in, in on the books and i don't think it's wrong with that if anything i think you know he, he he ryanair could well overshoot that forecast um they're going gangbusters in trying to grab extra slots taking advantage of this of, of this uh, downturn they've taken slots off EasyJet at Stansted to the airport nearest me um, you know Ryanair are looking to grab market share Wizz Air the, the, the Hungarian airline um, aggressively trying to grow uh, market share and you know what we're going to see I think are, the, are these intra-regional carriers um, getting very quickly up to full capacity so that that's exciting and uh, and good for our, our sector i think the intercontinental piece which drives that really super high-end travel um may be tougher but i think as soon as we can have that um i mean dubai is actually ahead of the uk in terms of its vaccination um the the us is ahead of europe but slightly behind the uk so i think by 2022 we're certainly looking at most of that longer haul stuff coming back as well um it's it's just this 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 bit in the middle um between sort of easter and and the autumn which is is much harder to call um there is a deal of pessimism around the the global business travel association they don't think we're going to get back to full recovery until 2022 their latest outlook was full of gloom 52 <laughs> percent decrease in spending on business travel um they they do think it's going to go up this year by 21 percent um and they think it's going to accelerate even, even further in 2022 my own hunch is that business travel is going to snap back quicker than it has done historically a lot of these models are are built on on what happened in previous downturns and those previous downturns haven't had the snapback that we are likely to see um, economically um, following this downturn so I, I think that they are probably too gloomy we, we'll see it's a tough one to call but I think we're certainly going to get the tailwinds eventually it's just a, you know whether it comes in in sort of late 21 or whether it comes into 2022 that's that's the tough tough thing to call mm. um uh, analysts at bernstein had an in, had a, a note on this uh um the, the case for pent-up demand for travel um and they concluded it the situation is likely to be nuanced and i think they're spot on with that and what they're saying is look domestic rural drive to that's all going to do well there's probably going to be a bias towards the higher end and hotels um and uh, short-term short-let accommodation that offers 
greater cleanliness and is newer and is more flexible is going to be the preferred preferred options so you're looking at all the the usual suspects here you're looking at brands you're looking at high-end brands and you're looking at flexibility particularly i i would suggest stuff like service departments um it's, it's going to go well in, in this kind of environment um but this is you know this is the next 12 month kind of outlook it's a tough one and you know and who knows you know the the virus may yet mutate into something <laughs> and and ruin all of this forecasting but uh, so far um you know are, are, i think on balance the risks are to the upside now let's talk about uh, china which is uh, the hotel market that seems to have been recovering first and is giving us perhaps some uh, some indicators as to how things might proceed elsewhere um and most recently, we've just had uh, quarterly results from Huazhou, who, of course, have a massive network of budget hotels across China. And their fourth quarter preliminary results were better than expected. Their revpar was just 2.4% down from the same period in 2019. So I think that's a, you'd call that a fairly nearly full recovery. Um, there are a few a few issues in and around the Chinese market to do with uh, local flare-ups of COVID-19 and the authorities are jumping on those as best they can and dealing with them as they can in, in the in sort of specific areas. So the whole market in China is still somewhat close to external visitors but um, for Huazhou who's very much focused on the domestic uh, budget travelling market uh, things are looking pretty good really. Um, uh, group is looking to grow into the Chinese market lo looking li liking the look of it long term and that's uh, minor hotels from Thailand who of course also own NH over in Europe uh, they're teaming up with um, a partner called Funyard Hotels and Resorts who already help Hilton with a couple of their extended stay brands growing in uh, China um, and so minor are hoping that they'll be uh, running alongside them and putting the NH and Anantara and Avani and Oaks and all their other brands into China's various markets in years to come. So, uh, Andrew, almost back to normal in China. Yeah, and as you say, that that's with the borders mm. shut. Um, I, I mean, China is is. Uh, uh, pretty unique. I mean, nobody does shutdowns quite like the Chinese. <laughs> I mean, if you look at what what they did um, in Wuhan in terms of literally sealing people into their yeah. rooms. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it's quite extraordinary. I mean, people moan about shutdowns in Europe, but boy. Um, so they have um, managed to get a recovery of in place with just this domestic piece and, it, and as you say it's it's just about back to where it was which is incredible really and um you know they do have a few um mid-scale to upscale properties as well novotels and stuff mm. like that so it's not entirely just budget stuff there are a few things to note from the wazoo results the first of which I believe is just how strong the recovery can be in just a domestic situation and this bodes well I think for operators like Whitbread for Travel Lodge um, operators in in that similar um, budget and mid-scale area um, this year could could be okay once we get out of the current series of lockdowns so from easter onwards it could be pretty good and then you've got the upscale and luxury as we've already talked about as perhaps being doing particularly well during the the leisure 
peace with the, the UK consumers having so much to spend during that. So uh, um, th this is all. This all sort of confirms the good news story we, we we have prepared, as it were, for for the UK. What's happened in China? Hopefully, will be a template for how this rolls out um, in the UK. Um, the other thing I think that I t took from Wazoo was actually not their Q4 results but I had a quick look at their presentation for their full Q3 numbers which included the the uh, profit figures um, but what they also showed you there was this um, switch into branded um, chains away from unbranded and they said that they, they looked at Q4 2019 numbers and then compared those numbers with Q3 2020 and there was a 2.8 percent increase in chain rooms but independent hotel rooms shrunk by 5.7 percent now i think we're going to see a repeat of this in in europe too so there are a couple of um, quite interesting things to note in 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 these wazoo numbers not the least of which also is of course what they're talking about what's going on in germany with steigenberger so um and you know we'll that's going to be one to watch there in terms of the continental uh, european recovery as well given the lack of um, of available data that we generally have in the uh, in the continental European marketplace, uh, Accor except Yeah, and of course one of the interesting things about Wazoo is they, the ridiculous pace at which they sign up new hotels in China. And uh, it seems like uh, certainly in, in Europe now with their new European division, they seem to be picking up the pace. There's quite a few uh, intercity hotels have been signed in recent weeks. So perhaps the uh, you know the, the some of that secret Chinese sauce is being sprinkled over Deutsche Hospitality too. Yeah, I mean that they they believe very firmly. I mean they're very committed. To, I mean that that acquisition, which is an interesting acquisition, that that's sort of mid-sized, um, almost national chain with Deutsche Hospitality. Yes, they have got a few other properties, but but very German um, orientated chain, um, and they've you know they are looking to to make an extensive play with that which is an interesting move because one would normally see uh, a national chain like um, Steigenberger and the allied other brands being slotted into uh, a more global operation but uh, Wazoo have come in and taken that as a launch pad to go and, and grow um, organically so that's quite an interesting interesting plan. Now let's look a little bit more locally and we're going to have a little a brief chat about what's going on and what uh, in, in the UK hospitality sector and what looks like to happen over the rest of the year and of course we're speaking about this as the uh, folks on the Isle of Man are celebrating the fact that they have completely come out of lockdown no more masks for them they can go to the pub they can go to the restaurant with gay abandon it's just they can't welcome anybody else onto their island at the moment um, but uh, we, we've been taking uh, views on what's likely to happen both in the operational market but also in terms of what's likely to happen in terms of the investment space uh, across the UK hotel markets and it's sounding all fairly positive isn't it Andrew? It is. I didn't know that about the Isle of Man actually oh. Chris as a little second. I've only been there once. I, I went on a press trip, a beer <laughs> press trip to uh, Bushy's Brewery um, and bizarrely, um, it is, I'm not sure how relevant this is to this podcast but I will share anyway, um, it was the, the other people on the press trip were all motorcycle journalists. Well of course. Because um, of uh, the Isle of Man connection. Indeed. And we were taken around the island by a, one of the a former TT winner and uh, driving a souped up minibus which um, if 
you can imagine going around a TT course sometimes on two wheels with a, <laughs> and a minibus. Um, it, it was an interesting one. I'm glad I did my drinking after the minibus <laughs> trip, shall we say. But uh, Anyway, um, that anecdote aside, so I had a look here. Um, I know you're talking about local stuff yeah global um um and um I, I took a look at where you know what's going on in, in in the wider sort of investment space um and there's data provider prequin um who looks at private equity um and they were talking about where where they see the future over the next five years um and they're expecting allocations in real estate to go up and they're they're talking about these these global numbers just seem uh, you know um, quite stratospheric but um going up 18 percent over the five years uh what to 1.238 trillion mm. um which is <laughs> not um on any <laughs> even in lira yeah. that would be quite um, nice <laughs> yeah. um but what, what's interesting is um actually this is is a growth annual growth of three three point four percent um and that's actually a slower rate of growth than we've had in the last decade which is almost nine percent we had in the uh in the 2010s um so between 2010 and 2019 so just under nine um, percent growth rate in in terms of the real estate share so it's, it's slowing slightly and they th saw the in terms of how uh, fund managers and the like were allocating um, to real estate investments there was going to be a split between uh, in, in sort of what is seen as bond like products so really super safe stuff and then stuff which is where they're hunting yield and more more exciting and higher potential returns and I think that latter part is where it's going to get quite interesting for the newer segments within within hospitality and operational real estate and the new concepts coming that's there's a lot of money swilling around i think looking for a home in the, in those sort of things so i think that that's really going to help push that and i think it's going to accelerate this 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 growth in these these new segments in um, allied to hospitality and in the other operational real estate bits whether it's student accommodation or um elder living and uh, we've talked a lot about co-living and um the the new um sort of built to rent resi type stuff so all of this i think is going to see a lot lot more cash head its way if these forecasts that uh uh put out in terms of allocation of of funds is correct five star and no star awards and uh this week's five star award i may be biased but i'm going to award five stars to whitbread for committing to the installation of 600 rapid electric vehicle chargers at their hotels over the next three years it's a sort of initiative that is really kind of needed to help encourage more and more people to drive electric vehicles because uh, it, people who haven't got electric vehicles think there aren't enough places to charge them and um so uh, well done to them for that i uh, funny enough i spoke to are they are they, are they tesla ones or they'll be they, no they'll the, be for anybody the general ones for anybody okay can you use them if you're a tesla yes. driver or yes you, you can tesla ones you, you can. can stick oh okay so eddie but you can't use tesla ones if you're not a Correct. tesla driver right that's sorry, right we'll do ev 101 in another day uh, <laughs> <laughs> but funny enough, i've spoken to several other hotel owners hotel managers in groups and, and they just don't get the point of putting these in 
um, but you know well done to Whitbread because they do it's going to drive up it's going to give people more reason to go and stay at, stay at the whole, uh, Premier Inn it's also going to give people more reason to stop and have, buy a coffee and a sandwich that's a, that's a Premier Inn as well so um or maybe, or maybe a whole meal, a whole meal yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah. Go and, well, maybe get your 45 yes, minutes for a yeah, full charge, yeah. is, it, is yeah, that right? Yeah. So well done to them for committing to that. Uh, no stars this week. Go to the board of um, U-City, uh, a Thai company uh, listed in Thailand who uh, own Vienna House, uh, the Austria-based um, Central European hotel chain sort of funky boutique hotels um, they had a bit of a boardroom bust up in December they obviously had been having a very bad time because of the uh, Covid crisis uh, but they launched a fire sale um, and rather than uh, put the whole Vienna house business on the market as a going concern they made what I feel is probably a, a bad strategic error and just started flogging off and giving away the leases all the lease properties they've given away to somebody else no longer to be Vienna House so they've basically torn up half of the portfolio half of the brand in one foul swoop so um, I think that's I think that's been a mistake you could well be right I mean those those leases presumably they were underwater were they in the, so they were obviously underwater mm. in the current environment but were they previously struggling oh we, uh, we don't know I mean don't some of them were, have been been around for a while some of them were relatively new uh, don't know how well they've been doing um, can't tell uh, but they're they've mm. been t taken over by HR group who said they're going to be uh, putting them under franchise brands from some of the big groups so uh, no more Vienna house on on above their doors consolidation mm, play absolutely mm, yeah, yeah yeah interesting so there we go and on that happy note I think we'll finish for this week and say bye for now